And we are in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ. You are the living God. You are the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. You never left it to doubt that you were God. And as we begin this series of looking at who you were, Jesus, and who you are, and who you say we are, Lord, I dedicate this series to you. And ask that in this time, God, we will come to know your son in an even deeper way. I pray, God, too, for those who don't know you as Savior, who have never taken that step to accept you as Savior, that they will come to know you as Savior. And God, for those of us who do know you as Savior, that we will come to know you as Lord as well. Lord Jesus, would you come and would you give strength this morning to my voice? Would you speak very clearly to our hearts? Lord, you know that for many of us, English is our second language. It might be our third language. Holy Spirit, would you take the word of the Father and the will of the Father and cause them to intersect into our lives in such a way that, God, we get what it is that you are saying to us this morning. Above all else, you're worthy. You're worthy of all of our praise, all of our glory, all of our honor. And God, we lift you up and we pray that God, in this time, you will be seen and we will fade into the background. To you belongs the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, we are beginning a new sermon series called called Answering Life's Greatest Questions. And today, as we meet Jesus, he is in the He's in the last stages of his second year of ministry, the year of ministry that we call his year of popularity. He's at the very end of it, and he's beginning his next year of ministry, which will be called the year of passion, the year literally that he's looking towards the cross. And in this year, it's very decided. He moves away from the, he moves away from the crowds, he moves away from the Pharisees, and spends the majority of his time really ministering and really building into his disciples what it is that they would need when he left. And as we begin this, in verse 13 it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. That needs explanation. Here's why. The region of Caesarea Philippi was about 45 kilometers north of, of the area of Capernaum where Jesus has been ministering. Capernaum is the, is the very northern part of, of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has been ministering there for two, for two years, but he moves north from there about 40, 45 kilometers. And this is a decidedly Gentile area. Not only is it a Gentile area, but it is a very godless area as well. Where he's, where he's ministering at here, and when he talks about the very gates of hell, 
In Caesarea Philippi, that was where the Jordan River got its, got it, it was at that area where it got its start. But in, in the region of Caesarea Philippi, there was a mountain, there was a hill there that had a, that had a cave in there that the river came out of. And the people believed that that was where the god Pan, some of you have heard of the god Pan, you know, half goat, half man, but they worshipped the god Pan there, very decadent, it, it, very decadent, because Pan was worshipped as the god of fertility as well as the god of sexuality. It was an incredibly immoral area. And so when you think about it, Jesus says, here, in this place, in this area is where I'm going to build my church, and the very gates of hell, the very gates of Hades, will not stand against it. And he asks this question, and it is the most important question that you will ever have to answer in your life. He says, who do you say that I am? That is the most important question that any of us will ever have to answer in our life. But he begins by asking his disciples, he says, who do men say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? And, he, and listen to their responses. And please, I'm sorry we have nothing up on the, uh, for, the, um, for you who love to take notes. I was out of the office for three days this week, and um, just we didn't get that. So please have, have grace upon me this week. But he said, who do men say that I am? Now, did Jesus not know? Did she, whenever Jesus asks a question like that, Garden of Eden, Jesus asks, asks Adam, he says, who, who, who told you that you were naked? Who, 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 told you, who told you that you were naked? Did Jesus not know? He, absolutely he did. But he's asking them to be honest. And here, did Jesus not know what people were saying? Oh, absolutely. But he wanted to hear it from his disciples. And they began by saying, well, some say that you are John the Baptist. That's who Herod thought that Jesus was, because Herod, had, when, after he beheaded him, he thought that Jesus, that was John the Baptist, who'd come to, back to life. And he said, others believe that you are Elijah. Elijah was a fearless prophet. He stood toe-to-toe with Ahab, but then ran away from Jezebel. But Elijah was one who was talked about in the last, in the last verses of, of Malachi. It talks about that before the Messiah comes, Elijah will come. And John the Baptist, in very many ways, represented that. Some say that you are Jeremiah, they said. Jeremiah was another prophet who ministered at the very end. You have the two nations. You have the nation of Israel. You have the nation of Judah. Israel is already gone. Assyria has taken them away. But Judah is still there. And Jeremiah is ministering in the very last days of Judah's history. And he he was a prophet that wasn't listened to as well. And they said, you could be one of the other prophets, some would say. But what they left out was what the Pharisees and other people said about him, because what were some of the other things they said about him? They said, you're a glutton, you're a drunkard. They said, you're a friend of sinners. They said, you're demon-possessed, you're out of your mind. And then Jesus turns, oh, just, just a second, and, and even today, even today, what do people say about who is Jesus? Well, some people say that he's a, a good moral teacher. In Islam, they say he's a prophet. In, in uh, Jewish people, the, uh, the Jews say that he was just a misguided person who lived on this earth. He died leading many astray. Many is the morning on either Saturday or Sunday morning. I, I, I come to church and I, I, I ride on the MTR from Taipole where I live. And uh, I come by, and yesterday morning I saw two nice young ladies there uh, dressed very, very nicely, and they had all of the pamphlets up and down, and, and uh, they were Jehovah's Witnesses. 
And, uh, and who do they say that, that Jesus is? They play footsie with John 1.1 when it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They change was to a God. Any first-year Greek student would never do that. It means he's a God. Jesus never left us to doubt that at all. And when I walk by them, I just simply say to them, John 14.6 or Acts 4.12, you have to deal with the truth. And who do people say that he is? But the most important question that you will ever have to answer in your life is this question that Jesus asked. Then he turns to the disciples and he says, but who do you say that I am? It is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Who do you say that he is? And Peter, impetuous Peter, as he always did, because when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He's not looking at Peter. He's looking at all of them. That's why I say the most important question you will ever answer in your life is this question. Who do you say that I am? C.S. Lewis, writing in Mere Christianity, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or something worse. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left us open for us. He did not intend to do so. No truer words than that. Peter stands up and he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, that didn't come of your own accord. God gave you that. How do you answer that question? Who do you say that he is? How do you answer that question? Is he just a great moral teacher? Was he just somebody who came up with pithy statements? Or do we say, as Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. You see, Jesus never wanted for a second for us to believe that, that, that he wasn't God. There are people who said, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Um, no. That, that is absolutely not the truth. The book of John alone, in the book of John alone, seven times Jesus refers to himself as, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In, in John chapter 11, when Jesus is standing with Martha and Mary, and they say to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said he will rise again, and Martha says, yeah, yeah, I know at the very end. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the door. He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. He, seven times he uses that phrase. And he says to the Pharisees when they came to him, and they said, before Moses, or before Moses was, I am. And they knew exactly what he was saying. That's why they picked up stones. What was he saying? He was making himself equal with God. And he said, well, it's one thing to say that you're God. Jesus backed it up. You go to the book of Mark, and in five different times, in five different ways, Jesus shows authority. At the very end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. 
Therefore, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. He says, all authority. Did Jesus have authority? You look at the book of Mark, and Mark in rapid succession. Some people have said, Mark is the gospel according to CNN. I don't know if it's CNN would be such a good, but he, just, he, he clips right along. When you see the authority of Jesus Christ, where do you see it? You see, it, first of all, remember the men who opened up the, up the roof, Mark chapter 2, and they lowered their, their friend down there? What's, what did Jesus say? You're, you're, you are healed, is what he said to him, didn't he? I'm baiting you. No, he didn't. He said, you are forgiven. It's interesting. Jesus saw that this man's greatest need in his life was not healing. His greatest need in his life was for him to have a relationship with him. He said, your sins are forgiven. And what did the Pharisees say about that? Oh, who is this man who, who, who says that he can forgive sins? And Jesus, it says, knowing what they, what they were thinking, says, which is easier to do? To say your sins are forgiven or to say to this man, rise up and walk. That you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said, I say to you, rise up and walk. He had authority over two things there. Authority over sickness, but authority over sin. He had authority over demons. When he spoke to the demons, they came out. Jesus is riding on the, on the Sea of Galilee. He's had to put in a long day. He's asleep in the, in the boat. And the storm is going on there. And the disciples come to him and they say, Lord... Don't you care? We're going to drown here. And what does Jesus do? He stands up in the boat and he says, be still. He walked on the water. Jesus had authority over sin. He had authority over, over, uh, over sickness. He had authority over nature. He had authority over demons. And when he stands at the tomb of Lazarus, at the tomb of Lazarus, his dear friend, and he says, show me the place where you have laid him. And he says what? Lazarus, come forth. He uses his name. Why? Because he has authority over death. I wonder what it would have been like if Jesus wouldn't have said Lazarus. And all the people would have come out. Why? Because he has authority over death. When Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven has been given unto me, therefore go. He is saying, I am God. And he's proven that he has authority over in all of these areas. It's one thing to say you're God. It's one thing to say that you are authority. It is another to back it up. And when God raises his son from the dead, everything that we believe in hangs on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, forget it. But when God raised his son from the dead, he vindicated everything that Jesus said on the everything that Jesus said and did in his life. Jesus never left it up. He never left it up to chance. Let me go back just a second. In Mark's gospel, just in rapid succession, Mark chapter 8, 31, Mark chapter 9, 31, and Mark chapter 10, verse 35. In rapid succession, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, he said, I'm going to rise again. It's a pretty bold statement. But when Jesus rose again, he rose again, what? Victorious. I love that verse. It says, he is not here, he is risen, just as he said. Jesus never left it to doubt as to who he was. The most important question that you will ever have to answer in your life is this question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that he is? 
He's not just a great moral teacher. He wasn't just a good man. He is God. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. How do you answer that question? It is the greatest question you will ever have to answer. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Is he your Savior? Have you taken that step of, of acknowledging Christ as Savior? If you have, what does the Scripture say? For as many as received him to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the child to the children of God. Imagine that. If you have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your life changed like that. We're going to hear about that next week. I would highly encourage you to be here next week. We're going to find out what happened when, when Christ died on the cross for us. It is amazing. But your life changed eternally the moment that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He came in to live in your life to change you and to change you into the image of what He is. But not only that, He said, you're my children. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In the midst of whatever it is that you are walking through right now, maybe it is with an employer, maybe it is a health issue, maybe it is how am I going to pay the bills, maybe you don't know what it might be. In whatever it is that you are walking through, God is the one who said, you are my child. And how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Amen? You are a child of the Most High God. You have not been left alone. And when you stand and when there are things that are going on in your life, I wonder about microphones and things like that, about my voice and stuff that's been going on over the last several weeks. The last thing the enemy wants in this place is for the name of Jesus Christ to be lifted up. But we come in the name and in the authority and in the power of the Lord God Almighty who said, greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. Who do you say that he is? It is the greatest question you will ever have to answer. Is he your savior? Is he your Savior? If he is your Savior, you know that one day you will stand before him. And we talked about this last week. When the book is open, will your name be found there in the Lamb's book of life? If you have prayed to receive Christ, it will be. But is he just Savior? Is he just Savior? Because here too, God didn't come to just be fire insurance in our life. Acts 2.36 says, This Christ, or this Therefore, let all Israel be assured God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both what? Both Lord and Christ. Did you catch the order there? Did you catch the order? Under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter speaks these words, This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. See, Jesus never came to just be fire insurance in our life, where we receive him into our life, and then we go ahead and we live our life the way that we want to, because phew, I know where I'm going to spend eternity. Jesus never did that. He came to be both Lord and Savior of your life. And that's where it gets a little sticky, doesn't it? Because as Lord, can he, does he, is he the one who should be directing the things of our lives? Yes, isn't he? Should be is correct. And the question is, he, who do you say that he is? It is the greatest question you will ever have to answer in your life. Is he Savior? But is he also Lord? Because there's coming a day when Jesus will say, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and not do what I, not do what I say? You see, Isaiah says that we were created for what? We were created for his glory. 
We were created for God's glory. How do we bring God glory? Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 21, he said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will show myself to him. How do we bring glory to God? By doing those things that that God calls us to do. How are we doing in that area? You see, when we name him as Savior, He also wants to be Lord in our lives as well. Have you taken that step of saying to him, Lord, where are you not Lord in my life? That's a dangerous question to ask. That is a dangerous question to ask because he will point out those areas where he's not Lord. I wonder what kind of revolt would happen in this world if the cellular industry went down for, oh, a week. No cellular phone for a week. I wonder what people on the MTR would do. You might have to talk to one another. I wonder what families would do. For some of us, that little thing there is, is God, is Lord. For some of us, our job, our job is Lord. For some of us, our reputation. For some of us, we got, we got cars and... One of the churches I pastored in, in Montana, in the United States, we had a guy there who, oh my goodness, he was into, into Chevys, but Chevy Impalas, but specifically the 1964 Chevy Impala. And I walked into his garage. You could have eaten off the floor. I mean, it was so clean in there, and he had this beautiful purple uh, Chevy Impala 1964 convertible. When you lifted the when you lifted the the hood on it, or what would you guys call it? The, the, you call it the bonnet. You, when you when you lift up the bonnet on it, you you look at the engine and here too off the engine. You could have eaten off the engine. It was it was so clean. But you 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 you, you dare not put your hands on the car. You just kind of had to look like this at, at the engine. And he was telling me about one of the times he had another car like this, and they were riding home from a car show. And you go to the car show, and everybody's got their cars out there. They've got the hoods up, and everybody's looking at you again. You don't, don't, don't touch the car. You just kind of look at it from a distance. And he said as they were coming home through, through North Dakota, there was a hailstorm in the, in the upper Midwest and North Dakota and uh, Minnesota and uh, Montana. They get very, very bad hailstorms, and sometimes the hail is as big as a tennis ball. And he said he got into a hailstorm, and he said the car was ruined. It looked like somebody just taking a hammer. And he said, I just sat in the car, and he said, I knew there was nothing I could do. And I'm thinking, that must have killed you, because I know how much you love that car. And for some of us, we have things in our lives that are Lord. Is he Lord of every area of your life? I have to ask that very same question. Is he Lord of every area of my life? Are there those things that I hold back? That I say, God, you can be Lord here and you can be Lord there. But God, this is an area where I still want to be in control. Someone has once said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He came to be both Savior and Lord. The greatest question you will ever have to answer in your life is this. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? How do you answer that question? Because sometimes when you give him lordship in your life, he may take your life in a direction that you never saw coming. 
I was just looking over my diary from, from last year. At this time last year, we were in Cambodia. Hong Kong, and I said, I said in, the, in the diary that we flew into Hong Kong, and as we left, you know, it was, oh, is that beautiful? We flew in at night, and we left early in the morning, and I thought, God, I'd never seen the mountains or anything of Hong Kong. What a beautiful place. Never once thinking a bit that, you know, how many months later we'd be living in Hong Kong and ministering in Hong Kong, leaving all behind. Why? Because God said to go. God said to move and to go. Sometimes when we invite God, not sometimes, when we invite God to be Lord, he may take our life in a totally different direction. Let me tell you a story, and then with this, I'm, I'm done. Three years ago, when, let me get, just give you some backdrop. Every year in March, normally, my wife and I, we go to Cambodia, and we minister to our our missionaries and our international workers that are there, we, uh, we hold a prayer conference for them and then minister each one. We take them aside and we're able to talk with them and counsel them and just pray with them and really encourage them. And so we're there usually a 10, 10, 12 days out of the year doing that. And three years ago, we were there and they were starting up a new church. There was a mother church that was there. And there was a new church that one of the older Cambodian missionaries, his name is Joe Kong, he and his wife were starting a church on, on Sunday afternoon, and it was just to millennials, just, just to millennials, you know, younger people, and they had about 40 people there. But there was a guy there by the name of Chimrun, and Chimrun, he was, he was a shining star. He had just graduated from, from Bible college, and Joe had, had taken him under his wing, and Joe was saying, in three years, he said, I'm going to be out of here. And he said, I really want to see you, Chimrun, to be the next, next pastor of the church. On March 19th of 2017, they consecrated and they laid hands on Chimrun, and they installed him as the new pastor. And it was amazing. I mean, they, they had this, this, such high hopes the next day, Chimrun and three of his other friends went to a park where they had a river and a waterfall. It was very, very hot that time of year. And they went there. There was a river and a waterfall. And Chimrun's friends said it was as though it looked like Chimrun was pushed off of, the, off of the falls. And he went over the falls, and they never found his body that day. He drowned. And the next day, the field director and several other of the international workers went to the site. His body had still not come up. And they were there for about a half an hour, and Chumrun's body floated to the surface. His fiance was there and several others. And they, they uh, loaded Chumrun's body into the back of the pickup, took him to a hospital, had him embalmed. And they had five funeral services for Chumrun. The first one packed. Every single one of them was packed. And one of the difficulties that they'd had with the with the young people in that millennial church, was getting them to get involved. Chimrun, he said he would do this, but there were, it was so difficult to get others. And when Joe Kong stood up and, and talked, it was full. It was packed with young people. Couldn't understand. Why would God do this? Why would God take our pastor? Why would he, just, he just started. And as he stood up, Joe stood and he said, who's going to take Chimrun's place? And he said, 14 came out of the audience, and they stood, and they knelt before God, and he said, we will take his place. After Chumrun died, they had five different services, five different services, packed every last one of them. A lot of people who never once heard the gospel, people gave their lives to Christ at those meetings. 
And sometimes we ask the question, God, what is it that you're up to? But God doesn't always tell us what it is that he's up to, does he? What God calls us to is this. He says, I not only want to be your Savior, but I also want to be Lord. So that in and through you, I can do what it is that will bring me the glory. I want to do what it is that will bring glory and that will tell others about about Christ as well. Who do you say that he is? It is the greatest question you will ever have to answer in your life. And today, how do you answer that question? For some of you, you're coming here this morning and you would say, yeah, yeah, I'm on board. Christ is my Savior. Great. Praise the Lord. Pass the sauce. Is he your Lord as well? Because he didn't just come to be fire insurance. He came to be your Lord and your Savior. Is he asking you to do something? Is he asking you to do something, Dad? Mom, is he asking you to do something in your home? Young person, is he asking something of your life? Has he laid his hand upon your life and called you to something? If he's Savior, he longs to be Lord as well. Will you give him that area? Will you give him that area? You'll, you'll, never, you'll never regret it. There may be days you don't understand it, but you will never regret when you give your heart and your life over and the lordship of your life over and watch God do what God can only do in and through your life. Do you know Jesus is your Savior? I, I, I know we ask this just about every Sunday, but I don't want to go away from a time like this without asking that question. Who do you say that he is? Some of you just put your head down. Stick with me here. Because today may be the day that God is speaking to your heart. And you may not have another chance to answer that question. Because it's not a coincidence that you're here in church this morning. Sovereign God has been at work behind the scenes. He's pursuing you to have a love, a love relationship with you. Do you know Christ is your Savior? If you don't know Christ is your Savior, you say, what do I have to do? There's several things. First is that you have, to, you have to repent of your sins. What does that mean? That means if you're watching porn on the Internet, you stop it. You get accountable to somebody. That means if you can't tell the truth, you stop it and you begin to start telling the truth. You ask God, help me to tell the truth. If you're not working the way that you should be working at your job, you stop that and you tell God, I'm going to work an honest day's work here for you, Lord. I don't know what it may be, but repentance is a 180-degree turn. It's the word metanoia in Greek, and it, it, it really means it's, just, it's a total turnaround. It means repentance. When we pray to receive Christ, we're not just inviting him into our life and then just living our life the way we've always lived it. And some of us, were doing that. The second thing that we need to do is we need to admit that we're a sinner. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. We're all sinners. We all need Christ, and we have to admit that. We have to admit, third, that we need a Savior. We can't get to heaven on our own. That's why Christ came. And fourthly, fourthly, we need to receive that precious gift. If you have never prayed to receive Christ this morning, today is the day you answer that question. Who do I say that I am, that he is? Lord, today you're my Savior. And I want you to be Lord. For the rest of us, is he Lord? And when we go to prayer, I'm going to be quiet for several minutes. And for some of us, we need to do some business before God. 
Because there are areas of our life, we know what those areas are that God's been putting his hand on where he's not Lord. And where you're sitting, let that be the altar that you have before God and, and speak, speak to God and say, God, here are those areas of my life. And that may be a daily process for a while for some of us until we, we relinquish control over those areas to him. But I'm going to be quiet for a time when we go to prayer and allow you to spend some time. But if you want to pray to receive Christ as your Savior, I would ask you to do one thing. When I go to prayer and I ask if you want to pray, I want you to just raise your hand up, okay? And I want to have a word of prayer with you, and then I'm going to talk with you afterward as well. Let's go to prayer. Father, thank you for, thank you for your strength. And thank you, Lord, for the anointing and the sense of your presence that I felt in a very real way here today. Because, Jesus, you never left it up for us to wonder whether you're God. You never left it to wonder. God, for some of us, we have prayed to receive you as Savior. But that's where it's ended. We've not given you lordship over what we do with our time. We don't give you lordship over what it is we put into our body. Don't give you lordship over how we spend our money. And there's a myriad of other things. And God, there are things that you've been laying your hand on in my life and things that you've been laying your hand on in our lives. Because you ask that question, the most important question we will ever answer. You ask it of us again this morning. Who do you say that I am? Because you died to be both Lord and and Christ. <laughs> and so, Father, in the quietness of these next moments, would you hear the prayers and the cries of your children as we lay these things before your feet? Lord, we want to make you Lord of our lives. We need your help desperately to do that. Come, Father, now and hear the prayers of your children. Father in heaven, as you've heard, you've heard the prayers of your children, you take very seriously what it is that we have said to you. And Father, for some of us, these are things that we've held on to for a long time. But Lord, your word says that you will make all your grace abound in us so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will, in, we will abound in every good work. Lord, we cry out for your grace. We cry out for your strength. Lord, you're the one that desires for us to be holy. You're the one that desires to work in and through us. And God, in and of ourselves, we do not have the strength to do that. And we cry out to you for that, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would 
again, continue to do the work of transforming our hearts here at AIC. Lord, I think too about the offer of salvation that you give. It is a free gift. You are a gentleman, Father. You will never force anybody to receive you. But you offer it as a gift. And as you came this morning, and maybe you've been coming here for a long time, and everybody just thinks that you're Christian. But this morning, when you heard that question, who do you say that I am, you would have to say, I I don't know Christ. If you want to know Christ, if you want to be his child, would you just simply raise your hand? I want to have a word of prayer with you. And Father, thank you again. Thank you again that as we come before you, that no weapon forged against us will ever prosper. God, as we go out into this week, there are some of us who have made commitments before you. And that's the last thing the enemy wants to see. And I just pray for the protection of the blood of Christ to be over each and every one, over each home, over each life. I pray for our young people in school. I ask God in the name of Jesus for a special, a special anointing of your grace and your strength as they, as they live out Christ in, at times so it can be a very hostile environment. I pray over the marriages in this room. For some, our husbands are a long ways away. I pray that they would be men of God. And I pray over the marriages in this, in this room that, God, your hand would be upon them, that you would fill the hearts of husband and wife with, with passion for them, that, Lord, you would heal wounds as well. Father, I pray over our singles here, our Filipinas that are here working and others here working, asking that, God, you would give them an amazing week with their employer. I pray for the hearts of their employers. Some of them don't know Christ. Probably many of them don't know you. And I pray for these Filipinas as they leave here that they will go and they will be light in the environment in which they live. God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for your blessing and for your hand to be upon Alliance International Church. You've brought us here as a family. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will take us out from here and let us be light in the midst of the darkness that is here in Hong Kong. To the glory and to the honor of your holy and precious name. Amen, amen, amen. May the Lord God himself, may he bless you with grace and strength and peace. And may you leave here knowing that you are a child of the Most High God. And you will be with him forever and eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bless you.